So Acts 2, verses uh, 38 to 47. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who were far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them save yourselves from this corrupt generation those who accepted his message were baptized and about three thousand were added to their number that day they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Relationship is at the heart of everything. Uh, we can start with God. God who is the ground of all reality. He has revealed himself to be Father, Son and Spirit. Uh, and that means that God has always actually existed in a state of connectedness or relationship. Uh, God has never been, nor indeed ever could be, uh, selfish in who he is because God is eternally Father, Son, and Spirit, forever relating, forever reciprocating, and forever three in one in, in a perfect relationship. Now that means that God has never been unconcerned or unaware or disconnected. Even when there was only God, even before you know the creation of all other things like us, God was Father relating to Son, relating to Spirit. So when the New Testament tells us God is love, that does not mean that God one day started to love or that he became loving when there was something else that appeared for him to love. No, love, love is not a sort of new development within God's life. It is essential to his being. God is love means that love has always been who God is because it has always been expressed between Father, Son and Spirit, as well as it now being express, expressed, of course, from God towards his creation and towards you and me. Now, if that is who God is, then that means that connection, interaction, relationship are essential to what reality itself really is. Connectedness shapes everything. It flows through everything. It holds everything together. Now, you and I know, of course, that that is also true for us within our own human lives. Uh, we know that we ourselves are shaped and affected and formed and defined by our relationships more than anything. It's how we come to be the people that we are. It's how we know and understand ourselves through our relationships. 
It's what gives us our identity. All of our humanness begins and then continues to happen through relationships with the people around us in our lives and, of course, our relationship with God. So on the human level, it's impossible to describe ourselves in isolation from, you know, separate from those around us, those other people in our lives who've connected with us. Now, by the way, if you're interested in science, there is also a fascinating field of study known as relational quantum mechanics. There's a guy called Carlo Rovelli who writes a little bit about this and he's fascinating. But relational quantum mechanics actually suggests that this is true even at the atomic level. You know, right down there in the strange quantum world of atoms and electrons and muons and gluons, that everything there too exists and is defined and works not just by lone properties, but by its interactions and relationships with other things. And I find that really fascinating that even at the level of atoms and particles, the very building blocks of everything that exists, it is the relationships between things that are really the essential element of reality. So that nothing at all that suggests, even subatomic particles, nothing can be described in isolation. Now, look, why does any of this matter? Well, it matters today because we're thinking about the importance of connection for us as human beings. And if God's very being itself has always been one of relationship and connection, then connection is essential. It is an essential part of what life is for us too. Now that means that our relationships, and for example, you know, God's call for us to love him and to love our neighbor as ourselves, or Jesus's call to love one another just as he has loved us. Those are not just important things, they are actually, I believe, essential to what life really is. 1 John 4 says not only that God is love, but it then says the following straight afterwards, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In other words, it's our connectedness and, and by living in connection, in loving connection, that we enter into the very life of God himself. Right at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, God says it is not good for human beings to be alone. It's actually the first thing that God describes as not good after a whole chapter of very goods. But it is not good for man to be alone, he said. And then we have that memorable story of Adam kind of being split in two uh, to become two people who then share life in connection with each other. But then they go on to become three and then it's four and then more and more and more and so on and so on until there are many, many people on the earth in connection with one another. And so life itself is created to be relational. Not just between couples, by the way. It's not just about Adams and Eves. Genesis continues and it describes all these different relationships and connections that define actually the whole human race. And so it's not very long in the Bible until God speaks to the Israelite community and he says, look, this is the heart of what I want for you and of what life is. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. 
So just as God is Father, Son and Spirit in constant relationship, so too humankind, we were created to exist in the same way, in connection with one another. We're not made to exist in isolation, but in interdependence, in mutuality, in connection and community. We're not supposed to just go it alone. We don't need to just go it alone. We'll probably struggle to go it alone because we were created actually to rely on one another and to support one another. Jesus said, didn't he? This is my command. This is the one command he says, I want you to take with you. Love one another just like I have loved you. Jesus was saying, that's what it's all about. Uh, as one preacher has said, the purpose of life is not to win. The purpose of life is to learn to love well. And so it's no surprise that when God does talk about what he wants for us, but then as he starts talking about what he's doing in saving us, you know, what salvation is, the gospel talks about things like reconciliation and community and fellowship and unity in the spirit and connection. Colossians 1 actually goes so far as to say that through Christ, God is actually bringing together in some profound way everything in heaven and on earth. You know, salvation in that broad sense, like Colossians 1 sees it, salvation is the act of God bringing us together, which means bringing us together is part of what life is meant to be, because that's what God's doing for us in Christ. The word church in the New Testament is the Greek word ecclesia. And it refers to an assembly or a gathering of people. Uh, the ancient Greeks used this word for when uh, the citizens of a democratic city-state, they were called out from their homes to gather together in the city centre to, to, to discuss and talk about the life of the city and what they should do. And then the New Testament Christians, they use the same word to describe the community of Jesus an ecclesia, a gathering of people who've been called together in Christ. Like when Jesus first gathered the disciples together so that they could follow him. So whenever we talk about church, we're actually talking about community and connection. We're talking about life under God's grace in relationship with him and with one another. So it's like a new kind of family. That's another way the New Testament describes it. We're God's family. And Christians therefore called themselves in the New Testament brothers and sisters. And one of the most incredible descriptions of the church in the New Testament is that the church is the body of Christ. And uh, the New Testament, you know, in uh, Corinthians, for example, speaks how, how it's like, it is like a physical body. Think of your physical body, the Apostle Paul says, uh, and all it, think about all the different parts of your physical body. And they're all different. They all have different roles and giftings that contribute, but they're all part of one body, all connected, all supporting each other. Each bit of your body brings its own unique abilities and each part is needed by the others and each is reliant on the others. But together, it's one body. And Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, so it is with Christ. The church, he says, is the body of Christ in the world today. And each one of you, he says, is a part of it. And you're each unique in your gifts 
and your blessings that God has given you, but we build each other up and we grow together into Christ as we, he says, support each other in love and do our part. So, so the Apostle Paul there in, in 1 Corinthians is saying that we grow best as human beings. You know, we, how, we want to flourish, we want to grow, we want to experience well-being in and, and, and our lives. Well, the Apostle Paul says the best way that we grow as human beings is in community, in mutual love and support of one another. And the church, he says, is a place where God's spirit is actually joining us to do that with us. And I love the fact, therefore, that at the heart of the church's life, there is a symbol that Jesus gave us about what it's all about, this church thing. And that symbol is a table and a shared meal where Jesus gathers us all together as his people. And we come and remember what Jesus did for us so that we can become more like him. It's a table of, that we call communion. There's a well-known story in, the, in Luke chapter 8 about a man who's possessed by demons. Uh, Jesus casts the demons out and makes him well. But when we first meet this man in Luke chapter 8, he's become completely cut off from his community. And Luke tells us this, that he's living in complete isolation. He's living in the tombs among the, only the dead people. Um, he, so he's, in other words, this man was cut off from life. And Luke actually says that he had been driven by the demon into, he says, a solitary or abandoned place. Now, when Jesus heals this man, the man then says, oh, what, can I stay with you? I want to stay, he wanted to stay with Jesus. And it's understandable. But Jesus actually, very interestingly, tells the man, no, return home. He says, go back to your town and share with everyone, Jesus says, the news of what God's done for you. And, and that's what the man does. He goes back into that community that had, he had been separated from. And he goes to them to share the news of what God has done for him. And so actually in Luke 8, the final part of the story of that man's healing is that Jesus took him from a place of solitary abandonment and restored him to life within his community. Remember, it's not good for a person to be alone. And Jesus is sorting that out for us too by bringing us together. In 1 Kings chapter 19, the prophet Elijah is feeling the pain of, of abandonment and isolation and, and aloneness. Um, he's, we sort of touched on this a little bit last week with, with, in Laurie's sermon. Elijah was fleeing from the threats of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Uh, they had said at this point that they were going to kill him, kill Elijah. And, and Elijah flees, and, and when God finds Elijah, Elijah there alone in the wilderness, he said, God says, why have you fled to the lone wilderness, the desert? And Elijah says this, he says, I'm very zealous for you, God, but the Israelites have rejected your covenant, they've broken down your altars, they've put your prophets to death with a sword. And then he says this, and I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And as things progress, we realize that Elijah's sense of being alone, of being the only one left, as he puts it, uh, there was no one with him as far as he could see it. That was a very, very painful part 
of what Elijah was struggling with at this point. Because in, and we know that was a problem because when God later on then responds, he says a number of things to Elijah to help him. But one of the things he says is this. He says, Elijah, I have kept 7,000 people whose knees, all of them, he says, have not bowed down to Baal, the false god, and whose mouths, and he repeats, all 7,000 of them, their mouths have not kissed that false god. So, you know, Elijah had felt, he thought he was literally the only one. There's no one else. It's just me. But God says, look, it's not just you. You can go back, and he sent him back. I can tell you, there are thousands there I've kept, and they will be a community for you, and they will welcome you, even if others don't. Well, in a similar way, when the letter of Hebrews was written to Christians facing a lot of persecution, we have chapters 10 and 11 and 12 of Hebrews that remind us we're surrounded by a great company of witnesses, it says, people who've gone before us in the faith that we now share. And it says even chapter 12, you know, we're actually part of a joyful assembly of people, both on he in heaven and on earth. Even the angels are with us, it says. And, and therefore it encourages us, don't stop meeting together, but keep encouraging one another. Why did he say, why did the writer of Hebrews say that? Because we need to do that. Because you need one another. We need each other and others need you. The goal of life is not to be self-made, self-dependent, self-secure, because in reality, no one is. We all rely on others. I mentioned the Italian uh, theoretical physicist Carlo Rovelli just now. He said this, interestingly, he's, his books are fascinating because he not only writes about science, he's quite philosophical as well. He said this about his own life. He said, I am my mother's caresses and the serene kindness which my father, with which my father kindly, calmly guided me. I am my adolescent travels. I am what my reading has deposited in layers in my mind. I am my loves, my moments of despair, my friendships, what I've written, what I've heard, the faces engraved on my memory. We are those relationships, aren't we? I think the incarnation of Jesus shows us what human life is meant to be. It's Christ coming in flesh to dwell among us and journey with us and take us together with him in the way and the truth and the life of God. The goal is to love God and to love one another just as Christ has loved us. Now we've seen recently, haven't we, in the book of Ruth, just how important connection and community is for our lives. But we've also seen what a powerful difference it can make for people. Remember, Ruth and Naomi seemed completely alone in chapter one. They had lost everyone. But when they reached Bethlehem, the community came round them so that Naomi could pour out her tears. She could just let her pain out, her sadness, her grief. In other words, that community, when she arrived alone, enabled her to grieve. In chapter two, it's Ruth who seems alone as she comes to this field, a Moabite, no guarantee of a welcome or anyone's acceptance of her. But Boaz, in that chapter, changed things with these simple words. He said, my daughter, stay here with those who work for me 
And whenever you are thirsty, drink from the water that we've drawn. In chapter 3 of Ruth, Ruth and Naomi are alone in a, in a deeper sense, looking ahead, because they had no redeemer to see a future through them. But Boaz goes to the community, and he becomes their redeemer, and he takes them under his wing and into his family, and then he marries Ruth, of course. And the community at the end of the book come together in chapter 4, and together they express how good this redemption is, not just for Ruth and Naomi, but for them all. And of course, the book ended, you remember, by looking ahead and saying, you know, through this, God is going to bring redemption to all of us. In John 17, Jesus, our Redeemer, is about to go to the cross. He's, he's about to die for us. But he prayed this. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So the glory of God, Jesus says there, is the love of Father, Son and Spirit that goes beyond the creation of the world. Something bigger than the universe itself. It encompasses everything. And Jesus prays, as he's going to that cross to die for us and for our sins, he prays that you and me will be gathered together with him to share with God in that far-reaching glory that is his love. In Revelation chapter 7, at the end of the Bible, John sees a vision of that coming about, of God's salvation, of what it means for us. And what he sees is a community, a people in community with God in the middle of them. After this I looked, John said, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every, every people, every language. And they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried together in a loud voice, salvation, belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now that's not just a vision of the future. It is that, but it's not just that. It's also a vision of what God is doing now through his Spirit, through Christ. So it should be no surprise to us that science and psychology and health professionals know it's really important that we have connection in our lives for our well-being as human beings. That's always been central to what life is. It's always been central to who God is and to what he's doing for us in Christ. So those five ways to well-being that we're looking at, as you saw, they, each week they're gonna give us three suggestions. Let me just remind you of what the suggestions are this week to help us connect with God and connect with each other. So first suggestion, Write a letter of encouragement or draw a picture and send it to someone to encourage them. Secondly, connect with a friend, either by sending them a message or speaking to them on the phone. And thirdly, find a Bible app that you can complete either individually or with a friend or a family or as a group to help you connect not only with each other, but together with God as well. Now, if you, again, I, I probably I should print these out, I think, maybe each week. And you can, if you want to, you can take them with you into the week. They are all on the website uh, of Southwest Baptist Association. 
I was very conscious as I prepared this sermon that connection has been really difficult this past year. And I want to close with a just a video of a prayer that I found quite moving that kind of tries to navigate that difficulty we've experienced during lockdown, but that constant need that we have of connection. 